0: You've been loading up on things from Walmart. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. (laughs) Say what now? 5% 5 back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online, on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You are listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. This week, we return to North Carolina, Cumberland County. It's in the south-central part of the state, about 75 miles from the capital in Raleigh, and more than 150 miles east of last week's story when we talked about the disappearance of Kyle Fleischman from Charlotte. Cumberland County is perhaps best known as the location of Fort Bragg, the largest U.S. Army installation in the world and home to 50,000 active-duty personnel. In 1985, Cumberland County is where 28-year-old nurse Debbie Wolfe lived with her two dogs. Debbie worked at the VA Medical Center and made her home at a small cabin off Johnson Farm Road in a rural part of the county, about 10 miles from the base and 15 miles from her job with the medical center. Her cabin was compact, rustic, and sat next to a large pond. The day before she vanished, Debbie joined her mother, Jenny Edwards, for Christmas and surprised her with a racy gag gift for the holiday. The two shared a laugh over that. Her mother bought Debbie a large stuffed unicorn, and Debbie hauled it into work the next day to show her co-workers. Over the holiday, Debbie had a talk with her boyfriend, Steve McDonald. It was time for their relationship to get serious, and they were both pleased and comfortable with the decision. On Thursday, December 26th, Debbie left work at the end of her shift and drove to her cabin. She was eager to see her two dogs, Mason and Morgan. Unfortunately, when Debbie left the medical center, she wouldn't be seen again. When she didn't report for her scheduled shift on Friday the 27th, it raised eyebrows among coworkers. Debbie was reliable. Not calling off and not reporting was out of character. Debbie's mother couldn't reach her by phone and became concerned. She asked her husband, retired Army Sergeant John Edwards, and a family friend, Kevin Gorton, to go to the cabin and check on her daughter and they arrived to a bizarre scene. Debbie's beloved dogs, Mason and Morgan, were running loose and had not been fed, something Debbie would never allow. Debbie's car was parked in an unusual spot. There were beer cans scattered in front of the cabin. When they went inside, they found a mess. Debbie's nursing uniform on the floor, items out of place. They searched the cabin for Debbie, but only found her handbag, not in its usual spot, but hidden near her waterbed. On Debbie's answering machine was a strange message left by a man that they didn't know. Jenny Edwards was worried. It was out of character for Debbie to disappear, and if she'd been planning a trip, why not mention it at Christmas? Where could she have gone without her car and with no one caring for her dogs? Jenny placed a call to the police to report her daughter's absence. The Cumberland County Sheriff's Department took a report, but there wasn't much to go on. Debbie's family felt the house looked out of order, with beer cans in the yard and her uniform on the floor in the kitchen. The sheriff didn't see any signs of a struggle, and he wrote up a missing persons report. Debbie's friends and family were frustrated by what they perceived as a lack of interest by law enforcement. The Edwards returned to the cabin later with a group of friends to fan out and look for Debbie. All they found was Debbie's black knit cap bunched up at the edge of the pond. There was no sign of the missing woman. Days later, when the new year arrived and Debbie hadn't returned, Jenny, her husband, and some friends went to the cabin to perform a search of the area. Eventually, one of the men suited up and dove into the icy pond. He found Debbie's body, stuffed face-first inside of a large metal barrel. Locating Debbie's remains answered one question, but led to many others. How did Debbie get into a barrel, Whose clothing and shoes was she wearing? And who dumped her in the pond and when? People ask me if I'm a Blue Apron customer, and yes, I'm proud to say that I am. Not only am I building my skills in the kitchen and bringing my family together to share delicious fresh food from local farms and from responsibly raised animals, I'm creating a memorable experience to share with my children. Dinner is a time to connect, nourishing the body and the mind. Enjoying a meal that is affordable, flavorful, and easy to prepare is a wonderful thing to experience. I'm not a seasoned chef, but the easy-to-follow recipes and pre-portioned ingredients help me create a restaurant-quality meal at a fraction of the price. At less than $10 per person per meal, we're enjoying dishes like spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice, or... Salmon Piccata with Orzo and Broccoli. One of my favorite things about Blue Apron, aside from the big flavors, is that I can customize the menu, so I'm serving meals I know the whole family will enjoy. Blue Apron also offers a freshness guarantee, meaning you get the right amount of fresh, ready-to-cook ingredients for each recipe. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Debbie Wolfe was one of four children, the only girl with three brothers, Jerry, John, and Joseph. Debbie was born in Arkansas, with a tumble of dark curly hair and a ready smile. Debbie was friendly, and having grown up with three brothers, she knew how to handle herself. In 1985, she was 28 years old and a well-liked nurse at the Veterans Medical Center. The day after Christmas, Thursday, December 26, 1985, Debbie joined her co-workers for lunch, including her friend, respiratory technician, Roger Rushing. At the end of the workday, around 3.30 p.m., Debbie called her mother and asked what gift she should buy her sister-in-law for her birthday. This would be the last time anyone saw or spoke with Debbie Wolfe. On Friday the 27th, her mother called the hospital to talk with Debbie, but was told that Debbie didn't come into work that day. Jenny's husband, Debbie's stepfather, asked Kevin Gorton to come with him to Debbie's place to check on her. He had a load of kindling to deliver and needed a hand. Debbie's car was at the cabin, parked in a place she didn't normally park. There were beer cans in the yard. They found Debbie's dogs running loose and unfed. They attended to the dogs, dropped off the kindling, and left. There was no sign of Debbie. On Saturday, Jenny Edwards was still concerned about her daughter who she hadn't seen or spoken to since the afternoon of the 26th. Debbie's stepfather returned to the cabin, accompanied by one of his tenants. The Edwards owned a mobile home park. They again found that the dogs hadn't been fed, but everything else appeared the same, and still no sign of Debbie. Sunday the 29th, Debbie's stepfather returns again with two friends, one of them Kevin Gorton. They did a quick search of the house and grounds. It's on Sunday that they discover debbie's purse hidden near her bed the morning of Monday the thirtieth, Jenny calls the veterans center again looking for her daughter. She learns that debbie didn't show up for her shift. Jenny's next call is to the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department. The deputy is unable to find Debbie's cabin to do a welfare check, so he responds to the Edwards trailer instead, asking for a photo of Debbie to use with the missing person search. On Tuesday, the 31st, deputies search the area around her cabin with the help of a bloodhound. They tell the family that the pond is clear enough and shallow enough that they don't need to use divers. They also search Debbie's cabin and tell the family that they can clean up inside since the sheriff's department is done with it. On January 1st, 1986, Gordon Childress, an Army paratrooper and experienced diver who knew Debbie's parents, offers to get his gear and search the pond. He goes into the water around 3 p.m. Within minutes, he spotted a barrel with Debbie's remains. She'd been placed in the barrel head first, and her feet, in men's white Nike sneakers, are sticking out of the bottom. He does not move or disturb the body, but surfaces and tells them to get the sheriff's department. Once the sheriff's dive team arrives, Debbie's body is removed from the pond. In the excitement around the discovery of her body, the barrel is left behind. One of the things they notice about her remains is that they are in excellent condition. She's not bloated and waterlogged. Her face looks peaceful, calm. This is not what you would expect when someone is found dead in a body of water. The sheriff's department had her body transferred to the coroner for an autopsy. The Cumberland County Sheriff, Otis Jones, called the State Bureau of Investigation to assist in the case. It was assigned to Marshal Evans, and he responded to the scene. Evans would be at the cabin several times in the weeks ahead. Her autopsy was performed on January 2nd, 1986, by Dr. William Oliver in Chapel Hill. He performed a thorough workup and listed her cause of death as drowning— even though there was no water in Debbie's lungs. That's not what you'd expect in a case like this. He noted about half a teaspoon of water in Debbie's sinus cavity. Oliver wrote a note saying that her remains showed signs of immersion syndrome. I had to look this one up because I wasn't familiar with it. Immersion syndrome is cardiac arrest brought on by being submerged in very cold water. The sudden temperature change causes an erratic heartbeat leading to cardiac arrest and death. A finding of Immersion Syndrome might explain the placid and peaceful state of Debbie's body when she was found. It does not explain how a body submerged in water for nearly a week wasn't bloated and distended. The divers who recovered her remains noted that Debbie's eyes and mouth were closed, her face peaceful. She didn't look like someone who'd fought to keep from drowning. There were injuries on her hands and some bruises on her body, but nothing that led the coroner to believe that she'd tried to claw her way out of a barrel, or that she fought off drowning. Her remains were in such good shape that she was laid out in an open casket at her funeral. When the autopsy findings were finally released in February of 1986, Debbie's family wasn't satisfied with the conclusions. The M.E. in Chapel Hill stood by his finding of drowning as cause of death. Her body was found in a pond, after all. Debbie's mother was not satisfied with the police findings of accidental, nor did she accept the coroner's ruling of drowning. Jenny Edwards had Debbie's body exhumed, and a second autopsy was performed by a private forensics firm in Louisiana. Neither autopsy could provide a conclusive answer as to how Debbie died, All we know for sure is that her death appeared peaceful and there was no water in her lungs. Complicating things was the barrel. The divers who retrieved Debbie's body were confident that she was found face down in a barrel in five and a half feet of water. The Cumberland County Sheriff's Department, despite one of their own saying that there was indeed a barrel, said everyone was mistaken and what people thought was a barrel was actually Debbie's jacket, that it had billowed out around her body, giving the illusion that she was in a barrel. Debbie's family strongly disputed the police version of events, the one where there is no barrel. Her mother claims to have found an imprint on the ground near Debbie's cabin, a large, circular imprint where the barrel once sat. Law enforcement disagrees. The family also talked about using a large metal burn barrel near the cabin for target practice. The barrel was no longer on the property, and it was never recovered. Law enforcement theorized that Debbie Wolfe came home from work on the 26th, changed out of her work uniform, grabbed a beer, and headed outside with her dogs. While playing with the dogs, she fell into the pond and drowned, her body hidden in the depths of the pond until Gordy Childress got his dive gear on and recovered her remains. Even if you don't include the mysterious barrel in your examination of this case, there's no shortage of strange things to ponder. Where did Debbie's clothing come from? Her family didn't recognize any of the clothing she was wearing when her body was found. The pants she had on, brown corduroy trousers, were very long on her. They were also not buttoned or zipped. She was wearing a 38C bra, not the 34B that Debbie usually wore. Even her shoes were suspect, men's size 7 Nike sneakers, which should have been too large for Debbie's women's size 7 feet. A man's 7 is roughly equivalent to a woman's 8.5. Jenny Edwards insisted that the brown shirt, corduroy pants, and shoes did not belong to her daughter. Honestly, the wrong size bra troubles me the most. A band size 4 inches too large would not be comfortable to wear. The white uniform found on the floor of Debbie's cabin was short-sleeved, and it was spotlessly clean. In fact, it was sent to a lab who reported that it was freshly washed and hadn't been worn. Where is the long-sleeved uniform Debbie wore to work on the 26th? It wasn't in the cabin, and from what I can tell, it was never recovered. When Childress entered the pond on January 1st, he spotted two sets of footprints and what looked like drag marks on the floor of the pond. If the sheriff's theory is correct... Why were there two sets of footprints as well as drag marks? To recap, we have a 28-year-old woman in perfect health who disappeared from her isolated cabin home after a day at work. Her body was found six days later, tucked into a metal barrel or drum at the bottom of the pond on the edge of her property. Debbie's house was messy, a departure from her usual tidy lifestyle. Her yard was strewn with beer cans. Debbie's car was parked in a way that she didn't normally park it, and I've read that the seat was not in the position Debbie would have left it. Debbie's purse was hidden near her bed, which, if you carry a purse, this is a tactic you might use if people you don't know are coming to your home. Hide the purse to minimize the opportunity for someone to steal your cash or ID. Debbie's clean, short sleeve nursing uniform on the floor in the kitchen a uniform that she hadn't yet worn. Morgan and Mason, her beloved shepherd dogs, were running loose and hadn't been fed. This is not how Debbie treated her dogs. Now we need to talk about the barrel. The divers who found Debbie's body, Gordy Childress and Deputy Don Smith, say that she was in a large metal barrel or drum when they found her, that the bottom of the pond showed two sets of footprints as well as drag marks leading to her location. Smith's superior officers disagreed. They stated that there was no barrel, and the divers were mistaken. So who had a motive to kill Debbie Wolf? Her parents, siblings, and boyfriend were looked at and ruled out, which is hard to put a lot of stock in. They only investigated for a few weeks, and when the autopsy results came back drowning, it sounds like her case was shelved. Debbie's co-workers at the Veterans Medical Center spoke of a volunteer who had expressed an interest in dating Debbie. Debbie was used to dealing with men. She'd grown up the only girl with three brothers. Debbie was polite and direct. She was not interested in a romantic relationship. The man wasn't happy with that answer and found excuses to see Debbie, excuses to run into her, excuses to call her house. In 1986, stalking was not a crime. It wouldn't be an illegal activity until 1990, and it wasn't until 1993 that a majority of states had stalking on the books as a crime. When Debbie went missing and her mother checked the answering machine at the cabin, she was hoping to hear a message from her daughter. Instead, she heard this. Uh, just to how you doing. Uh, if you're able to give me a call up here at the ward on the or give me a call home tonight... Uh, been out a lot of days. Maybe where you miss another one Just want to make sure you're okay Bye. At one point in the middle of the clip, around the 12 second mark, he says, "You've been out a lot of days which is a th- strange thing to say. The message was left on Friday, and at that point Debbie had missed a half day of work. She'd missed a couple of hours, not several days. The message was left by the man who'd been pursuing Debbie at her workplace, the man that she'd politely and firmly told, I'm not interested. I've read that this unnamed man moved out of state in the spring of 1986. So, which version of events do you prefer? The version presented by Debbie's family, where Debbie's home was out of order, with beer cans in the yard, her car parked in the wrong spot, uniform on the floor, and her purse hidden, then her body being placed in a barrel and dumped in the water days after her disappearance, which explains the good condition of the body and the lack of water in the lungs. It may also explain why Debbie was dressed in unfamiliar clothing. Or the law enforcement version, where Debbie came home from work, went out with her dogs, fell into the water, couldn't pull herself out, and went into cardiac arrest. Her death a sad tragedy. I'm leaning toward Debbie being killed elsewhere and dumped in the water. What gets me is the lack of water in her lungs. I don't believe that Debbie drowned. If she'd fallen into the pond, she would have stood up and gotten out. The pond was shallow. I'm troubled by the good condition her body was found in, like she'd been there for a day, not a week. From what I've read about this case, I lean toward Debbie being killed elsewhere and dumped in the water. The clothes don't seem like a big deal to me. They could be things that she picked up or were gifted to her that her mother wasn't aware of. The barrel doesn't even bother me. What gets me is the lack of water in her lungs. What gets me is the calm expression on her face, eyes and mouth closed like she'd gone to sleep. That is not the way people drown. Drowning is an ugly and brutal way to die. I'm also troubled by her car being parked in the wrong place. As if she arrived home and had to park in a different spot because another vehicle was parked where she usually put her car. Debbie's mother and father passed away in 2002. Her stepfather died in 1999. Her brothers, Jerry, Joe, and John, have passed away as well. In fact, Jerry preceded her in death. There isn't much information online about Debbie's death and the investigation that followed. Dr. Maurice Godwin, a criminal investigative psychologist, has studied her case extensively, and his website contains photos and a solid write-up if you'd like to learn more. It seems Dr. Godwin may be one of the few people still hoping that this case will be reopened as a homicide. This is the place where I would point you in the direction of law enforcement if you have information about the death of Debbie Wolfe. Sadly, the investigation into Debbie's death was closed in 1986. I have launched a Patreon account for the podcast. If you are interested in showing your support, check out patreon.com slash already gone. A big thank you to Julianne, Amy, Erin, Jessica, Maggie, and Jerry for your generosity. If you're looking for something new to listen to, please check out True Crime Asia. Each episode, this podcast picks one crime from one country to explore cultural context and how the West views Asia. Lots of information about crime and culture in this show. If you have comments, suggestions, or feedback, please email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. And please support our sponsor, Blue Apron. Get your first three mails free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com forward slash alreadygone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And as always, I appreciate you listening, and please, be good to each other. maybe would you miss other one since you want to make sure you're okay mom delivery you've been loading up on things from walmart yeah i used my new capital one walmart rewards card it earns unlimited 5% back on everything i buy from walmart online say what 5% back say what 5% back <laughs> say what now 5%, 5% back, back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart Online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.